It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Research shows that 95% of women will be a primary financial decision maker at some point in their lives. Today's guest, Nancy Tangler, believes that it's important for women to develop the knowledge and skills that are required in order to accumulate wealth and build an investment portfolio. She joins us today to discuss strategies for investing, especially in these times of inflation and rising interest rates. Nancy is CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Laffer Tangler Investments. She is a financial commentator on media and author of the book, The Women's Guide to Successful Investing, Achieving Financial Security, and Realizing Your Goals. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Joan, thanks so much for having me. Nancy, research shows that the odds are that a woman will end up unpartnered at some point in her life. How important is it for a woman to pay attention and to take control of her finances? Yeah, it's critical. Um, The average age of the first divorce in the U.S. for a woman is 30 years old. The average age uh, for a woman to become a widow is 59 Um, There are 11.8 million widows in the U.S. and 1 million new widows per year. And what we find from the research is that most women have excused themselves from the conversation. Um, They are not participating in the decision-making. And then suddenly, during a period of anger after divorce potentially or grief after um, being widowed, they are thrust into the role as the primary decision-maker. And most women, two-thirds of women, fire their advisor within the first year because they had not built a level of trust with that person, and it becomes very expensive and disruptive. So my goal is to get women to think about it, to engage uh, before that, and and not find themselves in a learning curve in a period of, of, you know, terrible grief. I was 59, by the way, when my husband passed away, and you feel way too young and unprepared for it. So. This is this is my mission. Well, you know, Nancy, I was 46 when I got divorced and I had given up my earning power because I was raised that, you know, you go to college and then you get a job, which was pretty much a placeholder until my real life began, which was to be a wife and mother. And so I did that for 17 years, that role. I I worked part time. I did some freelance work, but nothing significant that would have enabled me to retain my earning power. And then when I got divorced, that's when I started this brand. I, I created two companies. And I thought to myself, I need to figure out a way to support myself and my children because who was going to hire a 46-year-old woman who had been out of the workforce for so long? Right. And and that's such an important point because COVID exacerbated the problem. So when I wrote the book, uh, I described it as one one million women are still missing from the labor force compared to February of 2020. They stayed home to take care of children and and parents. I left the workforce during my peak earning years because my kids were in middle school and high school, and I wanted to be home face-to-face. And and so you're not contributing to your 401k. If you add in the pay gap, 
there's all sorts of reasons why women should be uh, investing and engaged in the investing process, not the least of which is all the research shows we make better investors than men. Often, I think people say to themselves, I don't have any extra money to save. They, they think they can't do it. So what do you say to that? I say that um, that's a false uh, argument because w- one of the things you can do now, I, I made that argument too, by the way, mm-hmm. when I was raising my kids. Um, one of the things you can do now is you can open a brokerage account with zero dollars. You can buy fractional shares, which which means if you really want to buy a, a share of Chipotle, for example, which is trading at, I don't know, call it $1,850, you can buy a fractional share if you've only got $50, and you can continue to add to it. And over time, the compounding of that becomes very powerful. I, I share a story about a woman named Stephanie Muka. I'd written about her in my column for USA Today. She started investing when she was on a fixed income. Her and her husband bought one stock early on, and it was Medtronic. She was a nurse. They paid $255 for the shares, and about 25 years later, they sold it for $459,000. But then life went on. He died, and then she started investing in earnest on a fixed income. And when she died, she'd given away or still had a total of $5 million. That is within every woman's grasp because she she wasn't making um, much money at all, obviously, in retirement. And yet she was able to accumulate millions. Is the key to be consistent? Yeah. Um, I have 12 intelligent investing rules in the book. And I write about um, the, in, the important things about investing, having a discipline. The first rule is that the biggest risk to women's portfolios is that they don't take enough risk. And so what you hear from the research is that women identify as, as really good savers. But they think of investing as a sport or gambling when really you are buying the assets of the firm when you – the claim on the assets in the firm when you buy a stock. And so if women use their, their research skills and, – and I share some of those, mine, that I've utilized. But the things you do every day as, as um, someone who's running the household, you, you will be able to identify great companies, buy what you know, and then stick with it. And I give a number of examples of stocks I bought that went down a lot. But I held on and where I am today, and I'm happy to share those with you. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when you keep talking about stocks in today's economy, is it a good idea to invest in the market or should we go with something a little safer like a CD or a money market? The reason that you want to own stocks, and there's a chapter on ETFs as well, is that it provides um, a very good hedge against inflation. And for decades, we didn't have to worry about inflation. But if you're earning 4.5 or 5% in a money market account, you are only um, generating a return that's about 1% above inflation. Whereas if you look at stocks, uh, the historical return through bull and bear markets for the last 100 years, you earn something closer to 9%. And then I advocate that women look at companies that pay a dividend and a growing dividend because that adds a further hedge against inflation. Um, We launched an ETF, uh, ticker TGLR, that's our flagship product, so that that women and those with less amount of money would have access. And the dividend growth in that portfolio is about 9 to 10%. That's great if you're using the income. Um, to, to, you know, if you're using the income and inflation is at, you know, call it three to four um, on its way down to two. So what about someone who isn't very familiar with investing? And like we're talking about, this is the the $50 that they have and, and they hear so much about the market and they see those red lines going down and they're afraid. What would you say to that person to help her 
get started on this journey and to make that investment? So in the book, I write about time in the market, and that's the Stephanie Mucha example, versus timing the market. So if you go back over the last, this particular study I pulled out was over the last 27 years. Uh, and it and it was from January 1, 1995 to December of 31 of 2022. There were a lot of bear markets in there, including the great financial crisis. Stocks have averaged 8% annually during that period. If you miss the five best days, your annual return goes down to 6%. And compounding that 2% difference over time is is critical. Uh, it's millions of dollars in some cases. And so I give examples in the book about stocks I bought. Starbucks was one I bought in 2007, right before the great crash. It was down when I bought it to 30 bucks a share. Um, it ultimately went down to $7.5 a share. I didn't sell it. I should have added to it, but I didn't sell it. And since that time, even with all of that, where I bought it at 30, it went to 7, my compounded annualized return is 14%. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm encouraging women to do, not to get – women do more research, the research shows, and so they need, they need to trust their research. And when if you have the courage during those periods of stress, it is always paid off if, you've add, if you add to names that you have confidence in in difficult periods. Think of it as a mm-hmm. high-quality company on sale. Just keep buying and close your eyes. Unless you're day trading, don't even pay attention to it. Just keep doing it because overall, in the average – you're going to make out doing better than if you had invested in something else. That's exactly right, Joan. And and during the great financial crisis, even though I was a chief investment officer uh, for a large firm in San Francisco, I, I just didn't open my statements. I just threw them in the drawer. That's why I ended up not buying more Starbucks. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you want to buy companies when they're out of favor. I bought Microsoft in 2010, and I just kept adding to it over time. And Nobody liked the company back then, but my cumulative return uh, in the stock is 1,570%. But there were years when it did nothing. And so that's, again, what I encourage women to do. If you have an Apple phone or an Apple Watch or an iPad and you love the product and the service and the quality, you know, it makes sense to just continue to add to it over time as you as you accumulate more savings. Mm-hmm. And so my strategy for women is save to invest. Because your, your earlier question is a good one. Why not just buy CDs and rates are pretty high now, so wouldn't that be a good solution? Uh, and I give examples of here's what would happen if you just put it in a savings account over 25 years. Mm-hmm. Here's how much money you would have, and here's what would happen if you invested in stocks, assuming the generic rate. And what we know from the research is women do better than <laughs> than their male counterparts and and just generic stock returns. So you, you cited your your age and, and I gave mine. And so if somebody's listening and she's in her 40s or 50s and she is basically starting her life over, she doesn't have a portfolio or she hasn't been saving the way she quote unquote should have, is it too late? Absolutely not. And that that was the point of, of the illustration about Stephanie Mucha because she was in her 60s when she started. Now, Full disclosure, she lived to be 102. Mm-hmm. But if you're 40 in your 40s, you've got 20 plus years to retirement. And then women on average live well into their 80s. And I expect that will expand over time. Um, and so if you think about that, that's a 40-year compounding period, worst case. And that that's a powerful um, t- uh, runway for investing. I, I tell my clients that retirement, by the way, is 20 years of unemployment. So a lot of people, these target date funds take people 
out of equities and into bonds when they retire. But you're going to there's nothing you don't need the money right that minute. You need some of it potentially. But that's why I encourage women to continue to take risk. And I I give them an example of an asset allocation um, plan that was developed by three famous investors, Burton Malkiel, Jack, Jack Bogle, who was the head of Vanguard, and uh, Sally Bryant, uh, I'm sorry, Jane Bryant Quinn. She took the most um, the, the most uh, aggressive posture and was in, exposed to equities at 80% with less than 10 years to um, retirement. And her portfolio just outperformed, drubbed the um, thumped <laughs> the uh, other two men's portfolios because risk is important to, to return. But if you're buying great companies, that mitigates some of the risk. And that's what that's what I recommend women to do. Nancy, millennials are deferring their retirement planning. Why do you think that's the case? So what they're deferring is the involvement in the in the investment decision. There was a recent article in the Wall Street Journal that said they're actually sort of preparing for retirement, but millennial women are participating less than my generation, which is the baby boomer generation. And I think one of the reasons for that is they came of age uh, during a period where their parents, 2007, 2008, where their parents uh, were watching their 401ks melt. I came of age during the period where we went from, remember, defined uh, contribute defined benefit plans, which was a traditional pension, to define contribution plans. So we had to own uh, our investment strategy at a young age, and it was also happily during that wonderful bull market of the 1990s, and then we faced the 2000s. So I think baby boomers are accustomed to the gyrations of markets more than the millennials. I have hope um, that they will engage, as some of them did during uh, COVID, and you know started. I mean, it was with mean stocks and other things, but that's okay. They were in the markets and they developed an interest. And so I'm I'm hopeful that that will change. What advice would you offer to parents to help their kids get started? So we used to sit around the dinner table and talk about companies. I actually got some of my best investing ideas from my kids mm-hmm. because they were leading edge on products that I wasn't paying to attention to. So that's one way. And then in Arizona, where I live half the time, um, there's a local chapter of the the National Council of Economic um, Education, and they I, I, so I speak to a lot of the schools where they teach the stock market games. But you can go on to the website as a parent, the national version, or there probably is one in your state, and they have a lot of materials for educating children on economics, which the average American adult gets a C minus and the average high school student flunks a basic test on economics, um, but also on stocks. And there's, you know, these kids, I'm just so impressed with the work they do once they're introduced to the concept. And there's national contests, but you can just do it in your own home. How much money would someone who's middle age right now need in order to retire in savings? And and how much would a younger person, a millennial, need in order to retire? Yeah. So another great question, Joan. The average um, in the United States is one in 10 are um, saving enough for retirement. And yet, if you read all, all of the, the research, everybody expects to retire comfortably and go on vacation, you know, travel globally. Um, the rule of thumb that I think is the best is uh, 10 times your kind of ending salary is a good benchmark for what you need. But but I would argue just in absolute terms, if you were retiring today, $2 million is okay, um, but you probably need something closer to three. And the best way to be saving for retirement as you get closer is to put all of your save, your retirement savings into a Roth 401k if you have that option or a Roth IRA. 
because the biggest expense for retirees is not health care, it's taxes. Mm -hmm. And so if you can pull money out of a Roth for an emergency, that becomes a very tax-efficient way to solve your problems. But if you're in your 40s, 50s, and 60s, you should be maximizing every opportunity for savings for retirement uh, because we don't know what's going to come ahead. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people who retired in the low interest rate environment, 2008 through 2021, uh, that assumed a certain assumption for the, the fixed income portion of their portfolio, which they were unable to attain. And so many went back to work. And we, you know, that's not the objective of retirement. I think more is always better for longer. So you know we have listeners right now that are gasping because maybe they're making under $100,000 a year. They still have a mortgage on their home. They're barely able to put food on the table with the rising costs. And they're saying $2 million. I I can't do that. What what would you say to that person? Well, I would say that I grew up in that home where um, we we went paycheck to paycheck. My mom worked two jobs. I started working when I was 12. I, I get it. And I'm absolutely not minimizing it. I would say you save what you can and you do what we talked about earlier. You open an account. You, you engage your children in the conversation. You buy fractional shares. And over time, again, back to the, the Stephanie Muka example, she was investing on a fixed income. Um, her peak earnings were something like 15000 a year. So that fixed income was not much. But I have another example of a guy who served as a janitor. Uh, and he, he was famous for wearing this corduroy coat in Connecticut during the winter that he had fastened with safety pins. But he kept putting money into blue chip stocks. And when he died in his early 80s, he had $8 million. So it's accessible. It just requires the discipline of being focused on putting the money away, buying stocks in great companies, preferably that pay a dividend. And then, as you said, close your eyes and just keep on doing it. But if you retain that discipline and consistently do so over time, that will, in fact, get you to where you need to go. You're absolutely right about discipline because you can always find money. I I was raised, and people will probably laugh at what I'm about to say, but I was raised by Depression-era parents. They were Depression babies. And so saving was always a big part of what they instilled in me. And I remember years ago, I saved change, loose change in a jar. And at the end of the year, I saved a couple thousand dollars. So if you start looking at expenses like what do you spend on a a coffee that you buy or what money are you just throwing away if you start to accumulate those little odds and end dollars they really add up and and like you said you just keep putting that money into investing and you will hit your goals that is such wise advice Joan I had the same upbringing and um but my my mom was single and so she you know she she paid off her home she saved a lot of money sadly she didn't invest any of it had she she probably would have had a million and a half dollars, but she also had a government pension and Social Security. Pensions don't really exist outside of the public sector anymore, so we're more and more responsible. And as you say, loose change can generate thousands of dollars. I can't tell you, and I do talk about it again in the book, how much money I wasted just because I thought, well, what's the use of saving $100? Mm-hmm. I'll just go you know, buy the kids more sports equipment, whatever it was. And And yet I knew that from a young age. And what kind of hit me upside the head was I um, reread a book, uh, Tree Grows in Brooklyn. And Francie's grandmother just says, it's a penny a day. And they would put it in a tin can. And eventually you'll have enough money. And I was like, yeah, what a fool I've been. And so I'm not saying live a Spartan lifestyle, but 
do you need a Vente $9 latte every day? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe you go to, yeah, go to a grande and save five bucks a, a day. <laughs> That's 25 bucks a week. That's 100 bucks a month, which you can invest. With what we're seeing in the economy today, should we be nervous about it or should we be looking at it as an opportunity? It's definitely an opportunity in my view. I've been doing this for 40 years. Just got to keep your head down and stay focused on what your end goal is. And there's really only one way to get there, and that is through investing. And so that's, that's what I want to encourage women to have the confidence once they do the research and they do more research, and it might just be anecdotal. It may be what you love, products you, you know, buy for your kids. I mean, if I had bought Costco when I was making those Costco runs, I, you know, I would have been re- retired at very young age. <laughs> the book is The Woman's Guide to Successful Investing, Achieving Financial Security, and Realizing Your Goals. Nancy, where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? So I have a website that we're sort of currently under construction, nancytangler.com. Our, our company website also has all my commentaries for anyone that's interested, and that's laughertangler.com. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us. You have provided a wealth of information that can really change lives. So I'm ha- so happy that you were here to share this with us. Thank you so much for having me, Joan. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.